Welcome back to our Yellow Box podcast. This week, we are joined by community founder John Ferguson as we kick off our brand new series called Awesome. All right. How's everybody doing? How's everybody doing today? There we go. Can't hear that echo. I know I'm not on yet. Good. Hey, it's great to be here today. And uh, isn't it a beautiful May 1st? Man. Beautiful inside, maybe not on the outside. How's that? You good with me? Okay, good. My name's John, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it, is, it is great to be at the Yellow Box today and always enjoy the opportunity to be here. You know, a quick show of hands, okay? Kind of jump into this here. Uh, who would say that uh, relationships are more important than success and uh, people are more important than possessions? Just a quick show of hands. Who would say relationships are more important than success, all right, and people are more important than possessions. Okay, I don't think I saw anybody not raising their hands. You know, as the famous saying goes, you know, no one on their deathbed ever said, help me out, I wish I'd spent more time at the... Right, right, right. I mean, we crave connection, don't we? You know, we long for love. We search for intimacy. Yet I think we have to agree, for so many of us, our relationships still aren't all... We want them to be. You know, we hope for more from our marriage. We long for more for our families. We desire more meaningful relationships. We want deeper friendships. We want to be closer to God. In short, we want our relationships to be awesome. And you know what? God wants our relationships to be awesome too. You know, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important of all the commands? He responded with not one, but two commands that are actually one. He said that all of God's teachings are based on loving God and loving people. Did you know that? Everything in the Bible, all the commands, the entire story of God from Genesis to Revelation is all about loving God and loving people. And so if we really want to have awesome relationships, it starts with us deciding to to love God with all our heart and love each other as we love ourselves. It really starts with us deciding to be awesome. In his best-selling book, Love Does, author Bob Goff says that we should have this as the mission statement for our life. You ready? Be awesome. That should be the mission statement for our life. Be awesome. Turn to somebody near you and say, be awesome. You said that with gusto. Good. And you know, Goff says, rather than wearing that mission statement on a sweatshirt or on a a wristband, he said that we should actually write it on a t-shirt where it won't be seen, but where we will be reminded every single day that we, in order to have awesome relationships, we've got to be awesome ourselves. And so I'm super excited because we're going to take the next five weeks to look at what God has to say about what it means to be awesome in our most important relationships. And let me just say right now, you're here on the first week of this series. Make sure you're here for all five and think about who you need to invite to come back next week with you, okay? Well, today we're going to talk about uh, having an awesome marriage, having an awesome marriage, uh, because here's the truth, and I know this becomes shocking to some of you, marriage isn't always awesome. Sometimes it's like this. That's not how you fold the towels. It doesn't matter how you fold a towel. It does matter how you fold a towel. If you want it to fit in the closet, you have to roll it. Could you chew any louder? This goes on here. It takes two seconds. Well, then the next person who comes in, we'll do it. That's not the point. What do you want to get for dinner? I don't really care. Then just pick something. You choose. 
Told you. I don't see why I have to put the utensils face down. Because when they're sticking up like that, if someone trips and falls, they're going to impale themselves and die. That's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm not playing this game where I list every single thing and you shoot it all down. I'm not doing this again. Well, then I don't know what to tell you. Oh my gosh, watch this. This is the best line. Did you watch this without me? Anything will be fine. It's fine. food. Fine. All right. We're going to get pizza. Anything but pizza. What do you want to eat? That is Bill Paxton. It is Bill Pullman. Bill Paxton was in Aliens. That is Bill Paxton. That is him. Game over, man. That is that man right there. Why am I going to put him away? I'm wearing them tomorrow morning. I don't care if you're wearing them tomorrow morning. I don't want them just sitting by my side of the bed all night. Why do you do this? You squeeze from the bottom. The next person doesn't have to squeeze then. It's toothpaste. It's not like it's hard to squeeze it from a new area on the tube. Why are we fighting about this? Why are we fighting about this? I, why are we fighting about this? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have made you make the decision. That being said, I think your original call of pizza is fine. Just no pepperoni. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I got nailed on like every single one of those. <laughs> every single one. Oh, man. Now, let me just say, you know, if you are here and you're not married and you desire to get married someday, I, my hope is that today's talk will help you get a jump start on being prepared to have an awesome marriage. And, and, and the truth is, if you have no intention of ever getting married, what we're going to talk about today, I really believe, can help any relationship be awesome. What I want to talk about specifically today as it relates to relationships and marriage is conflict. Conflict. Aren't you glad you came? Hmm, here we go. Because you know what? Conflict in marriage is inevitable. It's inevitable. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren said that marriage doesn't solve your problems. Marriage doesn't create your problems. Marriage reveals your problems. I got an amen, I think, over here somewhere. <laughs> and as those problems are revealed, conflict is inevitable. And research tells us that there are four issues that lead to 70% of the conflict that's in our marriage. It's in-laws, 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 and in-laws. No, that's not really true. <laughs> Actually, it's in-laws, money, sex, and children. Now, if you're married, wouldn't you agree that 70% of the conflict in your marriage centers on those areas? Are you with me? Give me a nod of the head. And if you're sitting next to your in-laws right now, I know I made things very uncomfortable. I'm sure they are wonderful people, maybe even awesome. But the one topic of conflict that the research did not uncover is one that's really close to my heart, and that's unmatched socks. You know, I hate it when we do laundry, and I end up with a bunch of socks that don't match. Anybody else? Anybody else with me on that? Okay, they're... <laughs> I got, yeah, me! Uh, my wife and I, we have a sort of silent waging battle on the sock front. She likes to leave them on my nightstand. And then when she's not looking, I return them to the hamper. And so our poor unmatched socks, they kind of go back and forth from the hamper of the nightstand and back to the hamper all over again. And when I was working on this talk, no kidding, I'm working on this talk, I walk up to the nightstand, and what do I find? Yeah, a pile of unmatched socks. And I just put them in the hamper <laughs> the day before. I don't want unmatched socks. Once a sock has no match, it is dead to me. Okay? One time I got so aggravated about this, I literally took all my unmatched socks and I taped them to the wall so my entire family could see them. True story. Yes, I have anger issues. 
I didn't do this for this talk. I really took that photo a long time ago. Oh, stupid socks. But you know, here's something we need to understand. See, research shows, you can go to the next slide. It's a little embarrassing. Research shows that 70% of the time, there won't be resolution to these conflicts. The differences that you have about your in-laws, about money, sex, children, and a host of other topics, including sex, 70% of the time, it's not a matter of you being right and your spouse being wrong. It's just a difference of opinion. Now, some of you are thinking, that's really weird because I am right 90% of the time. <laughs> How do I know that's what you're thinking? That's what my wife thinks too. <laughs> and so you could hear this and you could kind of go, okay, well, what's the point, right? What's the point? I mean, why not just avoid conflict? Well, Dr. John Gottman is one of the leading experts on marriage and what makes relationships work. And after four decades of studying couples, his research has shown that the number one predictor of divorce, all right, the number one predictor of divorce, after four decades of research, the number one predictor of divorce is not conflict itself, but unresolved conflict that leads to feelings of contempt. It's not conflict itself. It's unresolved feelings of conflict that lead to contempt. One of Gottman's researchers said this. I thought this was super interesting. He said, relationships die by ice rather than fire. Some couples eventually stop trying to dialogue. They find working on key conflicts to be too difficult or painful. They give up. They grow more distant and live more like roommates than spouses. And I guess this means that if you and your spouse are still fighting... And you've got a fighting chance. But here's the deal. See, I believe that learning to navigate conflict may be the single greatest skill that you can develop to have an awesome marriage. And I think what we need more than anything else can be summed up in one word. We need to be aware. Yeah, we need to be aware. Turn to somebody near you and say, you need to be aware. Yeah, you need to be aware. And let me just say, first, we need to be spiritually aware. First, we need to be spiritually aware. Now, I know that sounds like something you might hear in church, okay? But stick with me, okay? So what I'm about to share, I think, is absolutely crucial, all right? Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. All right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life, an abundant life, and that includes your marriage. See, we need to understand, folks, that we have an enemy who is out to steal, destroy, and ultimately kill our relationships, And I think we all know that in the midst of a conflict, it can be so easy, can't it? It can be so easy to think that other person is the enemy, that the enemy is our spouse. You know, when I find those socks on my nightstand, I feel like the enemy has put them there. But it's really just my wife. And even though it might feel like she's the enemy at the time, she's not the enemy. No kidding. One of the greatest little bits of advice my wife Lisa and I ever received was this. When it comes to a conflict between you and your spouse, we were told, sit side by side on the couch as close as you can to each other with the problem in front of you rather than between you. Physically, sit side by side on the couch and discuss the problem, but as if it's in front of you rather than beside you. The the very physical act of sitting together on the couch side by side, addressing the problem that's in front of us instead of between us helps us recognize that neither one of us is really the problem. It's that issue, that's that problem that is literally, you're literally facing that's trying to come between you. Does that make sense? Paul in his letter to the church in Ephesus says it this way. He said, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting really against each other. That's not what this is about. We're not really fighting against each other, folks. We're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. 
mighty powers in this dark world, evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, I know that sounds a little bit spooky, but let me just tell you. Like it or not, there is a force outside of your marriage that is opposed to you loving your spouse the way God wants you to love your spouse. There's an enemy that wants to destroy your relationship. There's a darkness that is dead set against you having an awesome marriage. And when it comes to conflict, you got to be spiritually aware. you got to be spiritually aware that you have an enemy. And when you recognize this, it can be a game changer because then you can come together with God's help to fight that common enemy. Because let me tell you something, all right? Our enemy doesn't want you to have an awesome marriage. He doesn't want your children growing up with a mom and dad who love each other with all they've got. The evil one doesn't want the outside world to notice how awesome a marriage with two people who are completely in love with Jesus and with each other can really be. Why? Because marriages with two people who are totally in love with Jesus and each other and are committed to resolving conflict in an honoring way actually helps others find their way back to God and brings light to where there is darkness. So the enemy will do everything in his power to make sure that the conflict leads to contempt and rips your marriage apart. We got to be spiritually aware. We got to be spiritually aware. You know, we also need to be self aware. We also need to be self aware. Here, here's what I mean. And, and, you know, do some self evaluation here. Are you aware of what you bring to the conflict in your marriage? Are you aware of what you bring to the conflict in your marriage? I mean, are you, are you aware? Are you self aware of your own brokenness, your own heartache, your own disappointment, your own feelings of insecurity, your own story? You know, just this past week, Lisa and I had about a two-hour conversation. <laughs> and yes, there was conflict. But thankfully, you know, it was one of those talks where we actually came to a better understanding of each other. And so much of it centered around unmet expectations, our stories, and our disappointments from our past. And, you know, even after 25-plus years of marriage, yes, we were still trying to figure each other out. But see, so much of the conflict in our marriages, I think, comes from what we bring into the marriage, our own longings to be close, to be cared for, to be loved. And we all carry pain from our past, unmet desires, and, and that can lead us to be demanding and controlling. And, and when I'm like that, see, when I get demanding and controlling, I'm basically saying, you know what? I am angry and hurt, and I'm going to take it out on you for not giving me what I always thought I would get from you. Author and psychologist Dan Allender says this. He says, uh, in every conflict, no matter how obviously wrong my spouse is, I bear the log and my spouse has the speck. Now, that might sound a little strange, but that's the perspective we need to have. And he's referring to a famous statement that Jesus said. He said, hey, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye? Why worry about the speck in that other person's eye, your spouse's eye, when you have a log in your own eye? And see, if I hope to handle conflict in an awesome way, I need to realize that I've got the log in my own eye. Now, Lisa may not be innocent. My wife may not be innocent, okay? But, in, but I bring anger and pain and brokenness to my relationship. And to be self-aware, I've got to realize that it's in my heart. And, and, and to make her pay for my broken heart, that's not the answer. See, the real answer is to let my self-awareness remind me that there is only one who can heal a broken heart. And the writer of the Psalms put it this way. He said... Uh, God heals the brokenhearted. God binds up wounds. 
Now, I recognize that in a room this size with this many people, there are people who have been or are even right now in abusive relationships. And I know that's something altogether different. And I just want to say I truly am sorry for your pain. And I also want to encourage you to reach out for help. Man, we want to be here for you. We really do. We'll help you walk that path. We've got to be spiritually aware. We've got to be self-aware. And there's one more way we need to be aware in order to have an awesome marriage. Uh, Gottman's research also discovered that you'll have much more success walking through conflict when you use what he calls a soft startup rather than a harsh startup. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever heard this before? He says you'll have much more success navigating marriage and conflict if you'll use a, a soft startup rather than a harsh startup. And he found that discussions almost always end on the same note that they begin. You make, make sense? They almost always end on the same note they begin. If you start an argument too harshly in attack mode, you'll end up with at least, at least as much tension as you began with. Harsh startups almost always begin with statements like, you always, or you never, or my favorite, why do you have to be such a jerk? Anybody ever been on the receiving end of a harsh startup? No, don't raise your hand. Don't, don't do that. That could be bad. <laughs> of course you have. We all have. How does it make you feel? Defensive, right? Soft startups, on the other hand, I mean, they're so much more helpful. You know, soft startups begin with statements like, hey, this is how I feel about the situation, or this is what I really need right now. And in a soft startup, see, you focus on what's happening and how it's affecting you. All right, I asked uh, Lucas and Elvin if they'd help me role play harsh startups versus soft startups. Not that they're experts on this at all, because I'm sure they never had any issues in their marriage at all. They sing so beautifully. How could they, right? We're going to take two takes, all right? And the first take is what a harsh startup sounds like, all right? And uh, this, um, let me just say up front, this happens both ways. I just happen to pick a very uncommon experience. That happens in my house all the time, okay? So this is just one example, all right? But this is what a harsh startup sounds like. Evelyn, begin with a harsh startup. You know, you never help around here. What do you mean I never help? I just cleaned the bathroom last month. <laughs> Seriously, though. Very good. Now, this is a harsh startup, and how did Lucas respond? <laughs> well, <laughs> lamely, but defensively. <laughs> and now, he could have responded any way he wanted, but... Isn't that often what happens when you're, and again, it could go either way. It's just one example. But that's what happens when we start with a harsh startup. Now, let's try a soft startup, see what that sounds like. You know, it would be really helpful to me if we could get the bathroom cleaned today. Okay. How about if I do it right after the Cubs game? <laughs> this is the problem with a man writing these things. See? <laughs> I just, we really need Evelyn's commentary right now. But anyway, let's, let's give them a hand for being great sports. And again, I, I hope you see the difference. And, and I know this is a role play. This is just one example. And it, and it goes both ways. Absolutely. But you see the difference a soft startup, what a difference a soft startup could, could make. Uh, what I'm really talking about, I think, is being relationally aware and you know, Gottman's research, it just confirms what the Bible has already told us. You might be familiar with this passage from Proverbs, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
A harsh word stirs up anger. And being relationally aware includes choosing a soft startup when it comes to conflict. But you know, relationally aware, people also see the good in others. They tend to see the good in others. They focus on gratitude. They express gratitude. One Harvard study found that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater levels of happiness. And as they studied couples, those individuals who took time to express gratitude for their partner not only felt more positive toward that other person, they also felt more comfortable navigating conflict. Now, they didn't say that gratitude eliminates conflict, but gratitude, when you're frequently expressing gratitude to one another, actually helps you navigate conflict more effectively. And once again, research, I think, just backs up the wisdom from Scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, let's just say finally, husbands and wives, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, how might your marriage or any relationship, for that matter, benefit if you kept, say, a gratitude journal on that person? Think about that. What if every day you wrote down one quality of that person that you were thankful for? I mean, imagine if your spouse did that, and then at the end of the month, you got to read that. What would that do for your relationship? Look, I mean, when you were dating your spouse... You put on the sales presentation of a lifetime. (laughs) You did, I did, we all did. This is what it looked like for me, okay? I peaked right there, okay? That was it. (laughs) Hard to believe that's the peak, okay? Guys, you opened every door. You came up with all sorts of creative date ideas. You talked on the phone for hours. Ladies, you spent hours looking your very best, telling him how handsome he was at every turn, expressing your affection with your words and your touch. I mean, if there was some sort of stock market for husbands and wives, most of our spouses would have done very well to sell quickly after the honeymoon. (laughs) I mean, life gets hard, man. Chores got to get done. Children can be a challenge. Our bodies break down. On my very best days, I can't believe Lisa picked me. And the truth is, she didn't pick me as I am. She picked me as I was, and I'm not now who I was then. Some of that's good. Some of it's not so good. But who are we fooling? Real love is hard love, isn't it? Real love is hard love. You know, Gottman's research found that if couples would spend just five minutes a day, just five minutes a day sharing appreciation for one another, this expression of gratitude alone will play a major role in getting their marriages back on track. Five minutes a day expressing gratitude to one another. Incidentally, he also said the best thing that you can do for your marriage is a daily six-second kiss. I told Lisa, just imagine what 10 seconds could do for us. (laughs) She didn't seem thrilled by that. So if the gratitude journal idea doesn't work, just kiss a lot. Spiritually aware, self-aware, and relationally aware. And you know, I know some of you walked in here feeling like your marriage is, is, is going pretty well. And that's great. And I hope what you've heard today just kind of helps you take it to awesome. Others, I know, came in here feeling pretty hopeless. For whatever reason, things are just really, really difficult right now. But I want you to know there's hope. There's always hope. 
Our God is a God of hope, and I've seen him take relationships, marriages that were on the brink of divorce. They seemed like they were dead and dying, completely lifeless, and breathed new life into them. And they weren't the same marriage they were before. Something altogether different, altogether new. And everybody around said, that right there is a miracle. He wants us to have an awesome marriage. So here's what I want us to do. I want to invite you to take a moment and ask God to help us build awesome marriages. And so we rarely ever do this, but I want to take a little bit of a risk here this morning. And I'm just going to ask if you wouldn't, if everybody would just close their eyes. Just go ahead and close your eyes where you're at. And sort of a prayerful mood, if you would. If you're, with your, if you're here with your spouse, I, I just ask if you'd reach over and join hands right now. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, God, we invite you to help us create an awesome marriage. Lord, help us to remember to keep the enemy the enemy and to remember that our marriage is worth fighting for. God, help us to be more self-aware about what we bring into this relationship from our own places of pain and disappointment and hurt. And Father God, help us to work through our conflicts with soft startups and a growing appreciation for what is good and true and admirable in each other. And God, as as a faith community, as a church, Lord, help us to be a church that encourages husbands and wives, holds them accountable to the commitments that they've made. And Father, with your help, we commit to creating an awesome marriage. We pray this in your name.